Well, as I mentioned already from uh, up front as we prepared ourselves for the catechism uh, question and answer, so last week, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we had a great time here uh, gathered. We had a great time, those who were able to head downtown and serve with Reverend Gospel Mission. Uh, it really was good uh, to proclaim, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hey, there you go. Well, I want to pick up almost exactly where I left off last week in terms of the conclusion of my message. I, I mentioned last week that um, Easter is the gospel. Okay, and let's remind ourselves of some of these words that are church words that we maybe kind of can take for granted. So Easter, when we think of Easter, we have to think of first and foremost, the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, but in order for him to be resurrected, he had to be put on the cross first. So with Easter, you get Good Friday, good because Jesus from the cross died and proclaimed right before he died, it is finished. That is the work God had sent him to do, to come and to live perfectly uh, the life that we can't live in our place, and then to go to the cross and to, from the cross, absorb the wrath of God in our place and be the substitute for us, that great exchange. It is finished. The work of saving humanity was finished. It is finished. And so then he is dead and he's buried. And then on the third day, he comes to life. It is the vindication of it is finished. It is God stamping paid in full across the, the life of Jesus. So Easter at the core is the gospel. Gospel means good news. Okay, you can't live good news, right? Uh, we had rain last week. I was actually in Southern California where it was like 68 degrees 24-7 and sunny. Uh, and we kept checking in with people up here and it was raining every day. And that's good news for those of us up here. Uh, the grass in our yard grew like crazy having so much water. That is good news. Uh, I come home, I can't live that. H- how do I live the fact that it rained? I can't, but I can live the effects of it. I can celebrate it rained, and I can have my son cut the lawn, and right, we, we, we can celebrate the effects of good news, but we can't live good news. We can't live the gospel, this Easter good news, but we can live the effects of that. So the gospel is this news. It's great news, good news, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose. Salvation is secure and it has changed our lives, and we can live the effects of it. So Easter is good news. Easter is gospel, not religion. And so the ending of my message, I mentioned religion says that, well, we better obey so that we're accepted by God. And yet, yet Easter, the gospel, Christianity turns that upside down and says, no, no, no. You're accepted by God through Jesus, son or daughter, if you are follower of his, therefore you obey. That, that is what it means to, to live the Christian life. There's still obedience to, to be done, to be uh, obeyed, commands and whatnot, but it's not to earn God's acceptance. That's been earned by Christ. So because we're accepted through the work of Jesus, that exchange, that substitute, therefore we obey. And that brings us right back to Hebrews now today, because our, our passage that I'm going to read in just a moment is, is filled with some encouragement, some we could call it exhortation commands to obey. But again, why do we obey? It's not to earn acceptance by God, but Jesus has done it, and our text is going to say that. And in response to what he has done, then yes, we, we live out these, these commands. 
today, our passage is going to show us what life together looks like because of the gospel. This is key, life together. So much of our life as, as Americans, Westerners, is, is individualistic. We, we, we read our Bible and, and, and it's always about, well, what does God want me to do? And, and that's good and important. We, we do, right? We have a personal relationship with God through Christ. But so much of the Bible's teaching is about us. It's about life together. It's about being brothers and sisters uh, in the context of a local church as we are here. And we need to have that, that kind of those lenses on as we go to this text. Life together because of the gospel, because of Easter. Now, before I read our passage, we're in chapter 10. If you want to turn in Hebrews to chapter 10, we'll, we'll be in verses 19 to 25. So get, get caught there, if you like, but I'm going to go back to chapter 4, because one of the things our writer has done, and again, we've been taking our time trying to go section by section through this book, but at the end of chapter 4, starting at verse 14, our author said some things, and they're going to sound very similar to what I'm about to read in chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And in and, and its time, this is a, an effect, if you will, a, a way writers wrote and the way speakers spoke, it's called an inclusio. Think of bookends. So uh, the writer said some things, and he's going to say similar things, and, and ears would hear that, and that would show you, oh, this is like the end of something that was begun. It's this inclusio, uh, this device, a literary device, where there's a beginning and an ending section with verbal parallels, okay? So Hebrews ten nineteen is our passage today, but listen as I read first Hebrews four fourteen to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that then led into chapter 5 and this whole section we've been in for weeks on the central teaching of Jesus as the true and better and greater high priest. And now our passage then this morning, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Did you catch some of the verbal parallels between those two? One scholar noted that there are no fewer than eight 
verbal parallels between the two passages, clearly marking the beginning and ending of this great teaching, as I said already, on Jesus' appointment as high priest and his work as high priest and his once-for-all sacrifice through his blood and all that we've been looking at from chapter 5 through where we ended two weeks ago, chapter 10, verse 18. So again now then, our author is coming to a transition with the end of this section, this section that I just read, that there's going to be one more time a summary and then these three great encouragements. I hope you, you heard them. They're easy to note. They all start with the words, let us, not let us. That's good for you too, but let us, three different times, the English translation puts that in there. And again, it's, it's us, it's life together. It doesn't say you ought to on your own do these three things, although we, we need to, and we'll see that, but let us do life together because of the gospel. Life together because of Jesus. So this morning, four things we're going to do. First, we're going to note the foundation for life together, or the basis, if you will, for life together, verses 19 through 21. And then, numbers 2, 3, and 4 of our morning, the three let us encouragements. And I'll unpack them one at a time as we go through life together because of the gospel. So first, then, number one, the foundation, the basis of life together, verses 19 to 21. First word in English says, therefore, and I've said it probably a dozen times over the 14 years uh, we've had at church, if not quite a bit more. Whenever you see the word therefore, when you're reading your Bible, pause and stop and think to yourself, why is therefore there? What is therefore there for? It's, it's telling you to stop. It's, it's a little nice, gentle nudge to, to, to call your attention to something. And then again, um, this word Translated brothers, but it means brothers and sisters in most contexts. Therefore, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, those who belong to Jesus. And then what, what does he have to say? Notice the word since. Again, we see it in English two times, right there at 19. And then again in verse 21. This is the foundation, the basis for life together. Since we have confidence enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Again, a summary of everything he's been talking about. That once for all shed blood of Jesus. It it brings confidence to enter the holy places. Again, a reference back to the old covenant, the old system, which again for us, we, we don't know, we don't understand. We've tried hard to wrap our minds around what it was like for God's people to rely on priests yearly to go in and make these offerings and to come before the presence of God on behalf of them, right? All, all of that, it's all over now. Jesus is once for all blood sacrifice has made it so that we have confidence to enter the holy places. That means to come directly before God. And then he goes on in verse 20 to explain that a little bit more. This, this, this confidence that's ours through Jesus is by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Again, the analogy to the Holy of Holies and the curtain that separated Jesus' body, given up for us, is, is now metaphorically the curtain, and now through Jesus, what he's done, we can get into that holy, holies, 
that, that pre- very presence of God. And I love it. It's, it's this new, right? It's contrasted with, with the old way, but it's living. Jesus is alive. The new and living way, this path that we're on, that he opened for us through his flesh. And then since, we see it again in verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Again, this this reference back to the things he's been saying throughout this whole section. Jesus is greater, the greatest high priest, and we have him. He's over the house of God. And this would, again, the readers would have remembered what he had talked about back in in chapter 3 and and how Moses was in charge of God's people, a house, but now something greater than Moses has come. And and Jesus, our great high priest, he is now over over us, over the house of God. And so right there in in verses 19 through 21, you have this, this foundation, these basis for why we can do Grammatically, the, the first let us we're about to look. Grammatically, this foundation really is about the first let us we're going to see, but, but most scholars agree conceptually it's the basis for all of it because it's the basis for the Christian life. The reason we obey is because of what Jesus has done. The reason we are accepted is because of what Jesus has done. Like It is the Christian life. It all flows from him. So again, we have confidence to enter the holy places. And I'll come back to that in a second. Because of the blood of Jesus, it's new and living way that he opened uh, for us through the curtain, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, well, that leads us then to number two today, but the first let us, the first encouragement, the first exhortation of life together and notice it right there at verse 22. Let us draw near. Draw near. This, this, is, this is language in the context of Hebrews for getting in front of God, coming before God in prayer, coming into God's presence. Our author has used this language of draw near several times already. It literally just means to get into someone's presence. And, and so the word is used throughout the Bible of Drawing near to people, drawing near to a town, it just means to come into proximity. But in the context of Hebrews, it speaks of coming into God's presence. And in the old way, to draw near, you had to rely on others and other sacrifices and other offerings repeatedly again and again. But our author wants his audience, I believe God wants us to know, no, we we have confidence now because of the blood of Jesus to enter into the holiest of places, that is the presence of God, because of Jesus, so then let us draw near. Let us come into God's presence. Again, in in prayer, to pray together as God's people, confidently, boldly. But not not just prayer, but but to, to have this intimate fellowship with God. I was thinking over the last couple of days of a couple of other verses that are, that are dear to me. One of them, Psalm 1611. The psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. 
At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Just think about that for a second. Is that not the epitome of having drawn near to be that close to God, to be able to say in your presence, God, is fullness of joy? And at your right hand, God, are pleasures forevermore? I mean, who doesn't love joy? Who doesn't love pleasures? Or Psalm chapter 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning, the prayer. Satisfy us, God, in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. It's one thing to know in your head of the steadfast love, right? God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, as Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus Storybook Bible, his faithful covenant love, which is ours because of Christ, the new covenant union we have. So for us, new covenant sons and daughters to pray, Psalm 90, satisfy us in the morning with that faithful covenant, steadfast love that we may rejoice. Think back to Psalm 1611. And your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand of pleasures forevermore. But back in Psalm 90, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. See, it's more than just knowing something up here, but it's about experiencing a reality. I've been praying like that a lot more lately. I've noticed when I I reach out to people and they have requests or or things, and I'm thinking of what the scriptures say, I'm saying, Father, like I I have a friend who just yesterday shared a request, and God brought to mind Psalm 23.1. You know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Another way to translate that is the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And so I I prayed, Father, please help so-and-so experience the reality of Psalm 23.1 right now. You are his shepherd. He lacks nothing. It's, It's so much more than just knowing something up here. And for us to be encouraged or exhorted on this foundation, on the basis of this this new and living way that Jesus has made by his work on the cross and his life, uh, for us to then draw near, to to come confidently because we can into his presence. It's about experiencing the presence of God. Look how the author fleshes out this first encouragement. So he says, let us draw near. So let us come before God in fellowship, in in proximity, experiencing him in prayer, of course, that would be a big part of it. But notice he says, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Like we sang a few minutes ago, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Again, on the one hand, if we're sons and daughters, if we're Christians, if we're saved, We are clean, and yet we sin. We we need to repent, and we need to have have, have this this cleansing, not positional cleansing, but 
fellowship-wise, and, and again, I've used this analogy with you before. Um, Kristen and I have been married this, this summer. We'll, we'll celebrate uh, 29 years, um, and nothing can change that. But if I get irritated and rude to her, uh, we don't stop being husband and wife, but all of a sudden, there's like a wall that goes up. All of a sudden, the fellowship of our relationship is, is disrupted. I don't stop being her husband because I was rude to her, but, but, but there's kind of this, this wall, this barrier, and I need to come and, and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And so that the fellowship can be restored. Uh, we, we need to draw near. We can. We can come confidently because Jesus has made the way. Because we're sons and daughters, we've been washed, we've been cleansed. We're, we, all that's happened, but, but we, we muck it up. And, and so this language here of coming with true or sincere hearts in full assurance of faith, that, that conviction of, again, faith means, means trust. We come, we know that God wants us to come. Again, there is some mental aspect to this, having this conviction this full assurance that we can come. And then, and then this phrase at the end of verse 22, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, probably allusions to what had happened under the old covenant, how there were these washings and these rituals, but that's all been done once for all in Christ, having our position before God right because of Jesus, having the fellowship there. Once When we repent and confess, we, we can draw near with full assurance of faith, can do that. What I want to do at the end of each of these is, is frame it in the form of a question, and this is from uh, a commentator, but I think these are good. So the command, the encouragement is, let us draw near, but here's now a question for application. For what or for whom do we yearn? For, for what or for whom do we yearn. And again, I'm trying to keep this about life together, about us as a church. What do we yearn for as a church? For whom do we yearn? Do we long come confidently and boldly before the throne of grace? Like Hebrews 4 said, that we may receive grace and mercy and help. And and like our author here says, let us draw near. Do, Do we yearn for God's presence? good and convicting question. For what or for whom do we yearn? Life together because of the gospel calls us to draw near together, to to yearn for, to long for the very presence of God. That's even a reminder, and and we try to pray this way, those that are going to be up front leading uh, each week, that, that we all would experience God's presence, that, that we wouldn't be in the way of everyone drawing near and, and experiencing that reality of the, the pleasures at the right hand of God, uh, the fullness of joy that's in his presence. So we're to draw near. But then the second encouragement or exhortation that flows from the gospel is verse 23. Now the writer says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. 
hold on to, grip tightly. The confession of our hope, that is what we believe, our, our faith. This is one of the reasons we've been doing uh, the catechism each week uh, this year. We want to hold on to and remind one another through question and answer of what we believe. What is it that we believe? Obviously, we say we believe this, but how do we distill God's word down to our confession? What it means to be a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. What it means for Soma to be a church, our confession. And I love the language here. It's so picturesque. Let us hold fast. Again, the idea, think of driving. Uh, Those of you that drive, those of you that maybe are teaching drivers, right? Holding on to the steering wheel, 10 and 2 o'clock, right? That's what you learn. And then as you get older, you start to, you know, uh, you know, you know, figure other ways out. But you hold on tightly at 10 and 2 to start to that steering wheel without wavering. I was watching something this week, and um, we're so spoiled these days, right? With, with DVR, we can just click, click, and through commercials, and then it auto stops. Like, like, I mean, those of us that had VCRs as kids, right? You know, man, what in the world? But so I, I, all that to say, I don't watch a lot of commercials uh, anymore, but I saw one, and it, it was, I think, it was some political commercial, honestly, because it started with some person saying, I'm who I'm ever, and I approve this ad, okay, and it kind of caught my attention. But then it was about Tesla cars and uh, the auto driving feature, and, and so it was these people videoing how, you know, the, the auto thing is going, and then there's a person, and the car, like, starts to hit the person, and, and these drivers have to manually, like, take over. And, and so the whole ad was basically telling us to write Congress and tell them to, you know, encourage them to cut Tesla's auto driving stuff. So there you go. There's your public service announcement for the morning. But, but I was thinking about this. Like, yeah, like, when I'm driving, there's something about, like, holding on, because you never know when someone's going to come out. I mean, you, you can't, up till Tesla, drive hands-free. You, you have to hold on. You have to move from that pothole. You have to avoid pedestrians and, and so many other things. Without wavering, the lines curve, and you have to follow and stay in your lane. We, we understand that, and, and our author's encouragement here Because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, the the new and living way that he's brought, not only are we to draw near together to experience the presence of God, but together, without wavering, we need to hold on to what we believe. It's another reason we're having once a month our Sunday night theology uh, lecture and class. Uh, Again, and there's obviously an infinite number of topics we could could look at and, and talk about, and we'll do more in the fall and and things like that, but we, we want to together hold on without swerving to what we believe, to the faith once for all delivered to us. And, and notice the grounding of it. Look at the end of verse 23. For he who promised is faithful. Like we sang this morning, all my life you have been faithful. Sometimes in our experience, we, we wonder, God, where are you? This has been hard. This is hard. And, and, and our life, right, is, is, you know, in terms of eternity, it's just a little bit, and then eternity. So, so right, I mean, eternity, and, and we're right here, and, and then, right, if you kind of zoom in, our life feels long, maybe, and like, where are you, God, and are you present? And, and he is. No matter what you've been through in your life, God has been faithful. 
lots of other things to talk about in terms of why evil happens and bad things and trials and sufferings, but God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. So we have to hold on together to our confession without wavering because he who promised is faithful. So now the question for application is to put it this way, to what are we committed? What are we committed? No, no one's knocking at our door as a, as a church to ask us to write a book. You know, no one's knocking at our door to, you know, put us on the cover of some magazine, you know, for being the most innovative church and, and thing like that. So we aren't committed to those sorts of things. To what are we committed? I, I hope and pray that we are committed to the gospel of the Lord Jesus, to the fact that it's not what we do to be right with God, but it's what Jesus has done in our response. It's always our response. I was talking with Chris this morning before the service. We, we run hard after God because he has run hard after us. We're always responding to him. To what are we committed? What is our faith? What is our confession? And are we committed to it without wavering? And there are secondary things too. There are areas of theology that Christians agree to disagree on, but, but those ought not to be things that we would, we would divide over. But, but what are we committed to? What are the core things? Well, then finally, the last item, the third let us of our passage. Because of the gospel, finally, verses 24 and 25, it says this, let us consider, the word consider speaks of using our minds, thinking, let us think, consider, ponder how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to help one another love God and love others. I remember as a young Christian learning this verse in uh, the NIV, and, and there's been a change in the NIV a few years ago, so I don't know if the new NIV still translates it this way, but the old NIV, 1984, uh, translated this verse as, let us spur one another on, spur one another on. And I remember being at a camp, uh, and the, the analogy was used of spurs, uh, you know, and how you kind of, if you're riding a horse, you know, you kind of give the little kick, and that spur, you know, kind of ignites the horse, you know, and, and so on. And it, it's visually like, I got that, even though I'm not a horse rider or anything like that. I think I've been on a horse three times in my life. Like, I, I conceptually understand that. Let us consider, are, are we considering, thinking about, pondering how we can spur each other on, stir up each other, what? To, to love and good works. This is, this is probably what is known as a hendiadis. Okay, we've talked about that a couple times before. Big word simply means an, an expression of one idea that, that include two independent words. So he says, stir up one another to love and good works. And it's not that they're meant to be separate things. Okay, how do we stir up one another to love? And how do we stir up one another to do good deeds? But in, in the scriptures, those items come together all the time. We love God, therefore we love others. Loving God yields doing good to one another. They, they go together. 
let us as a church consider, think about how we can encourage each other, stir up one another, spur one another on the love and good works. And then verse 25, often used uh, a bit out of context, uh, but, but here in its context, the example is, is given, kind of a negative and then positive. The author says, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So even back then, there were some Christians that didn't want to get together with God's people, didn't want to gather on Sunday, the Lord's Day, or whenever the, the church met, be it in a corporate gathering, be it in smaller groups, be it in, in some one-on-one or, or you know, groups of you know, two or three. Um, and that's still the, the reality today. There are, there are some Christians who um, neglect to meet. They don't make meeting together a priority. But the positive, the end of verse 25, again, encouraging one another. You can't encourage one another if you're not with one another. You can't receive encouragement from one another if you're not with one another. So this considering how to encourage, stir up, spur one another on to love and good deeds happens in the context of being together, and that can look a dozen different ways. And then the last phrase, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that's a reference to the glorious second coming of Jesus. As you see the day drawing near. And, and how do we know the day is drawing near? It's been 2,000 years, God. Okay, well, every day is a little bit closer to him coming back. And when we see hurt and corruption and pain, sickness, and on and on, the day is drawing near. The day is drawing near. And because the day is drawing near, we need to encourage one another. We need to spur, spur one another on to love and good deeds. So the question then, or application becomes, with whom will you walk? With whom will you walk? Will you walk with other brothers and sisters in such a way that you will be stirred up and spurred on and encouraged in, in your love and good deeds? Will you, will you spend time with people who want the same thing? And we'll, we'll do that and challenge you. I was thinking, you know, about this. Uh, just imagine, imagine the hope that, that we could experience as individuals within the context of, of a church if, if because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, his life, his death, his burial, resurrection, and now being at the right hand of the Father, our great high priest interceding for us, the one who has made a way for us to come boldly, right? And because of all that, if we were, if we were in fact drawing near together, if we were in fact holding on to our confession, if we were in fact stimulating, encouraging one another to love and good deeds, imagine, imagine what we would experience in the context of church. This is a picture of what, Life together is all about. But then I was thinking, imagine not only the hope we would experience through our trials and struggles as, as you know, people doing life, but imagine the hope that our neighbors might see and our coworkers and our classmates and our teammates and, and, and others around us if they saw a group of people doing life together this way. I think they might wonder about the hope that, that is ours 
and again, then there's that opportunity to say, hey, come, come and meet some people. And, and yeah, no, we, we don't have it all together. We're not perfect people, but we're doing life together. And because I have this brother and this sister, you know, they, they encourage me, they spur me on. We encourage each other with what we believe. We, we, we draw near to God in prayer and we, we want his presence. I think, I think there's some hope that we could offer to our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, those that don't know we live life together in these ways because of the gospel. Would you stand with me? We have sung our songs for the day, and so I am going to, as you stand, not sing a solo, but offer a benediction. But first a prayer. Join me. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that he is as our high priest, all that he is as the once for all sacrifice. What it means for us together to do life in response, to draw near, to experience your presence, to, to hold on without swerving to what we believe and to together consider ponder how we could encourage each other to love you, love our neighbor, and and to do good works and good deeds, all in response. I pray that would be true. This, This great text would be true of Soma, and that it would give us hope, but that it would also be used, Father, for others to see who you are. So that's my prayer. May we experience these realities today and this week, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may our good God lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. You are dismissed.